0: Revelation 4 begins the prophetic portion of the book of Revelation because many do not understand the segmentation of this final book of the Bible and the symbolism in this specific chapter it can be difficult to understand and sometimes even controversial and that is why I chose to analyze Revelation chapter 4 on this edition of end of the age. The book of Revelation is such an exciting book because it deals mostly with the events that will occur in the end times. And the book of Revelation is not really the book of Revelation. The very first book of the first chapter says the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation comes from the the Greek word apocalypsis, which means the revealing or the unveiling. So the unveiling of Jesus Christ is the, really the design of the entire book of Revelation. Revelation contains four very dramatic and exciting accounts of the second coming of Jesus Christ back to the earth. And the theme of the entire book of Revelation is found in one of the very specific passages. It says, behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. That's Revelation 1, 7. Now, another thing you need to understand is that there are three sections of the book of Revelation. I'm gonna deal today with the third section So in order to really understand the book of Revelation, we need to know that it is recorded in these three segments. And they're defined for us in Revelation chapter one, verse 19, very, very key scripture when you're trying to figure out and interpret the book of Revelation. John was told to write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which will be hereafter. The things which thou hast seen, those are recorded in chapter 1, Revelation 1. The things that are, are recorded in chapters 2 and 3, churches that were on the earth 2,000 years ago. And then the third segment, the things which shall be hereafter, those are recorded in chapter 4 all the way through verse 22. So the things which shall be hereafter in In chapters 2 and 3, we've learned on other lessons that about the things that thou hast seen. Churches on the earth uh, that were here 2,000 years ago uh, and a vision that John had seen in chapter 1. Those are things which thou hast seen and things which are. But in chapter 4, we move into... um, you really move with, with the Apostle John into the future. And you study things that John was shown, things which will be here after, the prophetic portion. So I'm going to analyze the chapter because I want you to understand, it, gets, it, it has become somewhat controversial to some people. And I wanted to make sure you understood the whole entire chapter And the symbolism in this, because it really helps to, it helps the book of Revelation to unfold for you if you're trying to study this. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, John said, After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Hey, John, come up hither, and I will show you the things which will be hereafter. Now you understand the segmentation, Revelation chapter 119, John, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will be hereafter. So John here is entering the prophetic portion of the book of Revelation. He saw a door opened and he finds himself ushered into the heavenlies. Well, one of the main questions, was he taken into heaven physically or was he taken there spiritually? And But it really doesn't matter because the result is the same. But it, a lot of people get caught up on a lot of these things and say, no, they, they'll hang a whole doctrine on this just about. But the Apostle Paul mentioned a man, you remember, who had a similar experience. He records it in 2 Corinthians Chapter 12, verses 2 through 4. He says, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, but God knoweth. Such an one was caught up into the third heaven, and I knew such a man, whether in the body, out of the body, I can't tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. So you say, man, I'd love to go there too. Well, I, will, I, I would too. <laughs> and possibly we will someday. Maybe I'll go there in prayer someday. I don't know. But a question, was Paul possibly talking about the Apostle John? I mean, Paul said this man heard things. It was not lawful for him to speak. And that happened to the, you remember the Apostle John in Revelation 10. He heard the seven thunders utter their voices but he was not allowed to write what the seven thunders uttered. You remember. So perhaps the apostle Paul was talking about John. We don't know for sure. But the book of Revelation is written in symbols. And these symbols, they can be understood by putting the scriptures together. Again, when you're trying to figure out these topics and interpret everything, you've got to look at every single verse that pertains to that topic. If you leave one or two out, you could miss some of the clues or just one of the keys to unlock the entire prophecy. So the Bible says, you remember in Isaiah 28, 10 through 11, that God would speak to us line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, and then back over here in this chapter a little, and then over in this book a little, and then over here in this one verse. So you've gotta put everything together to get the true interpretation and what the writer was trying to say, or the writer's plural. So, the first question is, did the rapture happen in Revelation chapter four, verse one? And this, again, this, it has become controversial over time because a lot of people have um, based their entire um, end time belief system on the fact that hey John was raptured it was symbolic of a rapture in revelation chapter 4 verse 1 but we're going to talk about this today because I want to make sure you understand not just this concept in revelation 4 verse 1 but the entire chapter so was John raptured in revelation chapter 4 verse 1 and well, we'll talk about it on the other side of the break
1: does the book of revelation frighten you do its symbols confuse you for centuries the book of revelation has been misunderstood and misinterpreted in revelation the unveiling of jesus christ volume one irvin baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before This 10-part definitive DVD series and 268-page comprehensive commentary book covers the first 12 chapters of the book of Revelation. Featuring on-location photography, classic artwork, and symbolic illustrations, you'll walk away with complete understanding and peace about the events happening during the final years on earth. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding as you dig into the original intent of the book answering the mysterious prophecies and symbols of the book of Revelation. Don't miss this special offer. Call now, 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com to order. Call or go online now to get this comprehensive Bible study.
2: We've seen Bible prophecy fulfilled like never before. go online now visit endtime.com
0: it's an interesting question isn't it I mean when the words were spoken to John now this is a 2,000 years ago when these words were spoken to John in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, Hey, John, come up hither. Some say that this is speaking of a rapture. And they say that this must be the rapture because they claim that the church is not seen or mentioned again in the book of Revelation after Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Well, this is, that's, that's a misinterpretation of the scripture. The church or saints, the same thing is mentioned many times after chapter 4 and throughout the remaining chapters of the book of Revelation. The church is seen all the way uh, back toward the end of Revelation in chapter 19. The Bible says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. That's Revelation nineteen seven. Well, we find ourselves, all the way back in Revelation 19, the marriage of the bride to Jesus Christ has not even taken place yet, right? It takes place in 19. Well, in Revelation 19, the bride is the church. I mean, if you look at it, throughout the Bible, the lamb is Jesus Christ. At the time of the rapture, the bride, which is the church, will be married to Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 7 says that the marriage of the Lamb is come. The, the belief that the bride, which is the church, does not appear in the rest of the book of Revelation is simply, that's inaccurate. And it's, it's really based on a, a false understanding here. And we see that Revelation 4 is not the rapture. Revelation 4 Uh, Verse 1, that's not the rapture, but it is the beginning of the prophetic portion of the book of Revelation. That's why it is imperative that you understand Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. The different segments, there are three segments to the book of Revelation. And chapter 1, chapter 2 and 3, and then chapter 4 through 22. So Revelation 1 simply is the beginning of the prophetic portion of the book of Revelation. Now... I'm going to analyze, again, I'm going to analyze the entire chapter because I want to make sure you get all the symbolism. And this will help if you're doing Bible studies or teaching this in your Sunday school, just trying to figure out the book of Revelation. You've got to understand these two chapters. I'm going to do chapter 4 and then in future segments, chapter 5 as well to make sure you got it because there's a lot of symbolism here. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, John said, and immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was um, to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about his throne and in sight like unto an emerald. So visualize this scene with me, if you will. John is ushered into the heavenlies either physically or spiritually, we don't know. He saw a throne in heaven and one sat on the throne. Well, of course, the one on the throne had the appearance like a jasper and a sardine stone. The rainbow round about the throne looked like an emerald. And we'll learn about the one who sat on the throne a little later. But let me first talk to you about the 24 elders. Um... The Bible says, And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats, John saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. That's Revelation what? Uh, Chapter four, verse four. So the twenty-four elders were clothed in white and given crowns of gold. What does the white raiment mean? Well, Revelation all, uh, chapter 7 in the revival chapter, Revelation chapter 7, verse 13 through 14, reveals the answer. It says, And one of the elders answered and said unto me, Hey, John, what are these that are away arrayed in white robes? And wh- where'd they come from? And John said back to the elder, I, In essence, I don't know. Thou knowest. And the elders said to John, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So the 24 elders in Revelation chapter four, they were wearing white robes because they had been washed in the blood of the lamb. Now, this is these clues are going to give you an idea of to who these individuals are before I'm done. So they've got white robes washed in the blood of the lamb. They've been. Cleansed, and they've been given the righteousness which only comes from Jesus Christ through his blood. And the only way anyone can stand before God without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, which is what the, exactly what the Bible says that we will do, is not to have their own righteousness. We must be washed in the blood, with the blood, I should say, of Jesus Christ. And then you can be made righteous, right? That's what the Bible says. So the 24 elders, again, I'm still in Revelation chapter four. I'm explaining who they are, but I'm gonna, the Bible says here a little, there a I'm gonna jump around a little bit, so follow me closely. The 24 elders that sat around the throne in white robes because they had been washed by the blood of the lamb. Jump forward one chapter, Revelation five, verse eight through 10 tells us that the 24 elders were redeemed by the Lamb, which means they had partaken of the salvation of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible says, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and, and the 20 elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps, golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof. Now, I'm going to get back to Revelation 4 in just a minute, but I want to explain to you the elders. The Bible says, uh, And to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us. Now, you're, you're getting an idea here of, uh, in the future segments, I'm going to do Revelation 5. But the Bible says, Thou wast slain, that's a clue, as to one sitting on the throne, right? Right? And the Bible says, "...and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign forever." So, back to the 24 elders. We know the 24 elders are part of the redeemed, and they will reign as kings and priests with Jesus on the earth, and Jesus said, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, John 3 3, he was talking to Nicodemus there. Except a man's born again, can enter or see the kingdom of God. So these individuals we're talking about here, these elders, these have been partakers of the salvation of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, the scriptures also tell us that the 24 elders will be part of the first resurrection. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 4 through 6, John said, and I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them, which were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark in their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for the 1,000-year millennial period. But the rest of the dead, the unsaved, they lived not again until the 1,000 years were finished. And this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part on the first resurrection, on such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a 1,000 years. So, There's a lot there, right? Well, this passage describes those who will be partakers in the first resurrection, in the rapture. And then it says that they are the ones who will reign with Christ for that 1,000-year millennial reign period. However, chapter 4 says the 24 elders will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. So, again, you've got to tie all these scriptures together to get the interpretation. So, from from all of these scriptures, we can clearly see that all who are in the first resurrection will rule and reign with Jesus Christ during the 1,000-year reign upon the earth. This is prior to the great white throne of judgment. That's at the end. That's after the 1,000-year millennial reign. So the first resurrection takes place at the end of the great tribulation. Verse four, Revelation four, four says, I saw the souls of them that uh, were beheaded. No, this is, that would be um, Revelation 20 verse four. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and they did not take the mark. They did not worship the beast. They are the ones who will live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. So the 24 elders, they will reign with Jesus on the earth during his kingdom that is soon to come. Now, there's another mention made back in the Old Testament. This would be in Daniel chapter 7, verse um, 21 and 22, even. Daniel reveals more information about the kingdom of God and who will reign with Jesus Christ. Daniel said, I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints. So the Antichrist making war with the saints, this is during the Great Tribulation, and he prevailed against them. The same account is in Revelation 13. The Antichrist made war against the saints. It's the same exact time period and the same event. The Bible says that he he prevailed against them, the saints, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So during the great tribulation, the Antichrist will make war against the saints until the ancient of days, Jesus Christ returns. At which time, judgment will be given to the the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So say, wow, that's a lot of information. Well, so let me summarize it for you. The the 24 elders are redeemed. The 24 elders are robed in white. The 24 elders are washed in the blood of the Lamb. And the 24 elders will rule and reign in the kingdom of God. So the 24 elders are part of the church. Okay? Now... You say, wow, that, that, that's a lot. Let me, let me try to wrap my mind around that. Well, while you're wrapping your mind around that, let's discuss the church that is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. I'm still on the 24 elders here, so follow me closely. There are 12 apostles in the New Testament church. There are 12 heads of the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament, So we're spanning thousands of years here. Ephesians chapter two, verse 19 through 20 says, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So folks, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now we're going back to the new Te- to the New Testament, all the way to Revelation chapter twenty-one, the New Jerusalem. We know from Second Corinthians chapter eleven, verse two, that the church is the bride of Christ. Paul said uh, to the Corinthian church, "For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ." Well, then all the way back in Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 through 10, John was told, hey, come hither, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Who's that? That's the church. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem. He said, hey, come, I'm going to show you the bride. I'm going to show you the church. And he took him and he showed him the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Earlier in that chapter, John 21, John called the city that he saw the New Jerusalem. So this passage tells us the New Jerusalem is the bride, which is the church. Now, describing the New Jerusalem, we're told that there are 12 foundations and 12 gates. The names of the 12 apostles are written on the 12 foundations and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel are written on the 12 gates. And from these things, we can conclude that the 24 elders are representative of the new Jerusalem, the church. And remember, the Bible says that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, And so the book of Revelation is written in symbols. And you've got to understand the symbolism of many of these things. Revelation chapter four is full of them. And so as we're going to continue through this study, these symbols are going to come together. And it's similar really to a piece of a, the different pieces of a puzzle. You're really unable to see the big picture but when we begin to put everything together, we find that, hey, this piece fits here, this one fits here, wow, look at this picture I'm building. And then another piece fits until finally, the pieces of the puzzle come together and we have a complete picture. That's what's going to happen as we go through Revelation chapter four, verse one. And we'll, we'll continue with this lesson in the next segment because I want you to have a clear understanding because this can really open up a lot of the book of Revelation for you.
3: Major Internet companies are silencing and censoring Christian voices online. These companies are trying to control what you see and hear. Almost 200 videos of ours have been marked as restricted online right now. That's why we launched End of the Age Plus, a platform where the truth won't be censored We will not censor our message to comply with what the world deems as politically correct. Go to watch.endtime.com right now, or search Into the H Plus in the App Store or Google Play.
0: of Revelation chapter four, and because there's a lot of symbolism and a lot of different things that are included in this chapter, we'll actually be doing in chapter four and chapter five in just some future segments. Because I want you to understand there, there's some there's some misconception here. You know, did the Revo- did the rapture happen in Revelation chapter four verse one? Well, we explained that. No, it did not. That was simply a vision that John was giving, starting the prophetic portion of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 4 through chapters 22. And then we learned about the 24 elders. And that they were part of the church that will rule and reign with Christ on the earth for the 1,000 year millennial reign. And then we also talked about the, um, the one. There was one throne. John, when John went up and saw the vision of heaven, he saw one throne and one that sat up on the throne. And we're going to be covering some of that today. So I'm going to try to co- tie both lessons in together. So now we're going to move on to the seven spirits of God. I get this question all the time. What are the seven spirits of God? Well, we know that the Bible says God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is one singular spirit. We all would know and understand that God does not have seven spirits, right? He's one singular spirit. So what does that mean? Well, let's, re, let's return to, um, remember, where I'm analyzing chapter four, Revelation four. So let's go back to Revelation chapter four, verse five. John said, and out of the throne proceeding lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lambs of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, some people get very confused about that. But let's recreate the scene in our minds here. Remember, remember, John is in heaven. We don't know if he's there physically or spiritually, but he's been called up to be given a vision. We know that for sure. And he sees one throne, and he sees one sitting on the throne. And he also sees 24 seats, and he sees 24 elders sitting on these 24 seats, which are apparently the 12 apostles and the 12 heads of the tribes of Israel. And this is symbolic of the Old Testament church and the New Testament church. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 11, that when the Lord comes back, that the saints and the prophets will be given a reward. You remember Old Testament and New Testament, they'll all be taken up together. those those that have obeyed the the Old Testament plans of salvation, the tabernacle plan and the temple plans and those things that have passed on, they're all going to be taken in the rapture. So, but John also sees something else in this whole scenario. He sees seven lamps of fire burning before the throne and the seven lamps are, the Bible says, the seven spirits of God. So you say, what in the world is meant by the seven spirits of God? Again, it's a great question, and we get it a lot here. So does God have seven spirits? Is that what John was saying? Well, Isaiah eleven two, 2, it mentions the different spirits of God. The Bible says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So remember that, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, if you go back up through Isaiah eleven two, the first portion of that verse is a prophecy concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ. If you read down through there, get the entire context. This is another key point. When you are studying any, any scripture in the Bible and you wanna get a, a, a better understanding, sometimes if you just read that scripture, it can be hard to figure out. But if you're studying, it really helps to read the book the entire book that that verse is located in. But many times, if you can read the, just the whole chapter and get more context of what, what the writer's trying to say there, then it really helps you to figure out. If you can really read, what I like to do is to go back and read a couple, two or three chapters prior, a couple, two or three chapters afterwards. Maybe read the first chapter to find out hey who's the writer writing to who's the writer uh, who's the writer writing to and what's the what, what's he trying to say here? I mean I, because you have to get the context of all of it. A lot of times it really helps you figure it out what he's trying to say. So if you look back here in revelation 11 uh, 2 it's ta- or I'm sorry Isaiah 11 2 he's talking about right there in the beginning the prophecy concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ but if um, if we consider, each of them as separate spirits, there's a total of seven listed here in this passage. Well, but we don't know for sure if if that's it, because there's another possible explanation. Let's just assume that the spirit of wisdom and the understanding and the wisdom and understanding is one spirit. Because it kind of puts them together there. And let's, let's assume that the, the spirit of counsel and might is one spirit. And that the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord is one spirit. Well, we could then say that these are three of the seven spirits of God. Because there are four other spirits of God mentioned in scripture. Um, back in John fourteen seventeen, It talks about the spirit of truth. Bible says, even, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So it talks about the spirit of truth here. Well, in 2 Corinthians 4.13, it tells us about the spirit of faith. It says, we having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken, we also believe and therefore speak. So the spirit of truth, the spirit of faith, these are more spirits. Uh, Paul uh, speaks about uh, of a spirit of holiness in Romans chapter Oh man, one, one verse four. The Bible says um, and he and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So then if you go back to Revelation 1910, it lists the seventh spirit. If we understand it if if we're understanding it from this perspective, because I want to I want to try to be um give you an academic answer here. Look, we're gonna go for a couple different perspectives. Because Well, uh, Revelation 19.10. He said, and I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see that you do it not, John. I'm I'm a fellow servant. And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. So whoever was showing John around was not supposed to be worshiped. We only worship Jesus Christ, you understand. But look closely at the last portion of this scripture for the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. So again, and, and and if you look through it through an academic's mind, they would wanna say, okay, we gotta look at from this angle and then this angle and then this angle and this angle over here to try to make sure we figure out what's going on. Tie all the verses into it And we'll look at it like that. Well, the thing is, beyond everything, the Bible says God is a spirit, one God. And that's what we're going to go with. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Here O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There's only one spirit. So you say, well... The Bible says that in uh, Revelation 4 that there are seven spirits. Well, whatever the conclusion that we reach as to exactly how to define these seven spirits, the Bible says that there were lamps and seven spirits of God or maybe um, seven different attributes or seven different characteristics of, the, of God. There's not seven separate spirits. There was a spirit, he, the spirit of wisdom and truth and faith. You understand what the writer's saying here. And so the Bible says that these lamps and the seven spirits of God give us light. They're lamps. And so can can you imagine, think about this. Just picture in your mind, imagine if you will, what John is experiencing as he's watching these different scenes from heaven. And really all throughout the book of Revelation, when he sees the, 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 uh, the third trumpet, Chernobyl. Or the fifth trumpet where he's trying to, he's trying to explain um, modern day implements of warfare and helicopters that look like locusts. And they're, they're, uh, they sound like the, the hooves of horses running chariots to battle. And uh, he's trying to explain all this 2,000 years ago. He's been given all these wonderful visions out there on the Isle of Patmos all by himself. And so he's watching all these different scenes in heaven. He sees 24 seats and 24 elders uh, robed in white with with crowns on their heads. And he's told that the 24 elders will reign with Christ on the earth. And he then sees these seven lamps and he's told that these are the seven spirits of God, but yet he, he only believes in one God. So he knows that there can't be seven literal spirits So John ponders, what in the world are the seven spirits of God? What does all of this symbolism mean? Well, sometimes when you're trying to figure all of this out, you have to say, what does this not mean? When you're trying to figure out prophecies or or different things in the Bible, there are times when um, it would appear. Now, I'm not saying that it does, but you might read a verse in one place and then go back to another one and say, well, these, these two contradict. If you hadn't really studied it out in great detail, you would say, these are contradicting each other. Um, but well, in like uh, revelation 16, when the Bible says that the, the spirits came out of the, uh, the dragon, the beast and the false prophet to gather the nations of the earth to, to battle at the battle of Armageddon. But then in Zechariah, God says, I will gather the nations together. And so if you you look at this, and and in Ezekiel 38, and so when you look at this, you would think, hold on, Satan's going to gather? God's going to gather? No, no. God actually used Satan for his purposes is what he does. They never contradict. So when you're trying to understand these things, sometimes you have to say, well, I know it can't mean that because the Bible says this over here. So when the Bible says Hear, Israel, Deuteronomy 6.4. It's the cornerstone of all truth. It's what separated uh, the truth of Israel away from every other nation in the Old Testament. They only believed in the one true God of Israel. Hear, Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So he can't be seven spirits. These are simply the spirits of God, the, the wisdom, faith. And it goes on down through the, 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 the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy, what do these things mean? That's what you need to figure out when you're trying to figure out these prophecies, okay? So I know there's a lot to it, but you have to understand the, the, the core, uh, the, the one main scripture. There are not, God doesn't have seven spirits to him. These are attributes of God, these are uh, things that, uh, are characteristics of God, wisdom and faith and the, the spirit of prophecy, different things. That's what makes up the seven spirits of God. And well, we will continue on with our study here in just a moment. God bless you. Looking forward to it.
4: Most of us walk around day by day blind to the prophecies being fulfilled right before us. Every news report brings a new piece to the puzzle in the race towards the final seven years and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, more than ever, it is important for God's people to understand the times in which we are living. On November the 12th, 2013, Go to jerusalemprophecycollege.com.
0: Isn't it interesting to just analyze a chapter of the Bible, especially a prophecy chapter, to try to see if we can figure out all the different parts and pieces? It really creates a big, beautiful picture when it's over with. Remember, the book of Revelation is about the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So let's see if we can't wrap up um, Revelation chapter 4. So we're going to talk about now, the, it brings us to what the four living creatures. The four living creatures are revealed in Revelation 4, verses 6 through 7. And John said, and before the throne, he's, remember he's seeing this vision. And he says, before the throne... There, were, there was a sea of glass, like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne, and round about the throne, there were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the four beasts was like a... The first beast was like a lion. Second beast, like a calf. Third beast, like the face of a man. And the fourth beast, like a flying, angel, a flying eagle. Well, what does this verse mean? I mean, we know a beast in Bible prophecy in most places refers to a nation along with the ruler of that nation, right? We've made that statement many times. But we're going to go to the Greek, because the Greek word used in that way, when it says beast, it means a dangerous animal or a wild beast. In Daniel 7, there are four beasts, and the word therion was used, which means nations. However, the same word is not used in Revelation 4. The original word there is zoa, which means living things or living creatures. I mean, some of the modern versions of the Bible, some of the modern translations, i.e. the New King James Version, it translates this as, I saw four living creatures. So the term beast is not used because it's not the same word at all. And we're going to see the term therion uh, if, we were, if we were to study the book of Revelation, you would see that in Revelation 13, where it refers to the world government of the Antichrist and the Antichrist himself. So this is a totally different uh, from the living creatures. So what do the four living creatures represent? Well, in Revelation 4, 8-9, John said, And the four beasts, or these living creatures, "...had each of them six wings about Him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever." So each of these four living creatures, they have wings, they're full of eyes... Revelation 5, 6 says that the eyes represent the spirit of God and they are full of the spirit of God. So the same spirit is found in the Old Testament back in Ezekiel chapter one, verse five. Ezekiel writes that also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. And, And this was their appearance that they had the likeness of a man, so, God wants us to understand these symbols because He placed them in the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And as a reminder, in Revelation 4 7, one of the beasts had the face of a man. So, in Ezekiel 1, verses 6 through 10, it says, And everyone had four faces, everyone had four wings, and their feet were straight feet, and the sole of their feet, was like a, uh, the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. And they had the hands of a man under their wings and on the four sides. And they had four, um, they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went and they went everyone straight forward. And as for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man the face of a lion on the right side, and they had they four had the face of an ox on the left side, and they four had the face of an eagle. Now, just I'm going to explain this, so just hold on, because there's a lot there. But these are the same four creatures that are seen in Revelation 4. The creatures had the face of an ox or a calf, an eagle, a man, and a lion. These, these same four faces in Ezekiel 1 are found in Revelation 4. But obviously, they're the same creatures. And what are these living creatures? That's the question here. Well, if remember, I said here a little, there little. So that's how the, the Bible is written many times when you're trying to figure these things out. You got to pull in every verse. So for the explanation, we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 20. And it tells us: this is the living creature that I saw. "...under the God of Israel by the river Chebar back in Ezekiel 1, and I knew that they were the cherubims." The cherubims are the special order of angels. And in chapter 4, John saw this order of angels giving glory to God, saying, "...holy, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty." Now, remember, John is in heaven for the first time in his life, and he is receiving all these amazing visions." And further, in Revelation 4, verse 10 through 11, we are told that the four and 20 elders, the Bible says that um, John said, the four and 20 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, thou art worthy, O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Irvin Baxter, uh, the late leader of End Time Ministries, my father-in-law, passed away in November from COVID. He told me, he said, Dave, I, I, I used to think I did not want a crown. I wasn't deservant of one. But he said, you know what? After I started studying the prophecies, I realized I want a crown. I want God to give me a crown someday with jewels in it because I want to be able to take it off when I get to heaven and throw it at his feet. And that was the mentality of my father-in-law. And I want that to be my mentality. Lord, I'm not worthy of any crown from you. I didn't die for my sins. You did. And if you ever give me a crown someday, I want to throw that at your feet because you are the only one worthy of all praise, honor, and glory in Jesus Christ. And so, what an attitude that my father-in-law had. And I want to have that same attitude. I want to worship Jesus Christ throughout the ages. The Bible says, world without end, eternity. And if I had a million crowns, I'd throw every one of them at his feet because he is worthy. I'm just an old uh, pile of clay, pile of dirt. But Jesus Christ is worthy of all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory. Amen? Amen. So the four and 20 elders, they fall off of their seats and worshiped him that sat on the throne. Remember who this is. Jesus appeared to John in Revelation 1.18 and said, I am he that liveth. Who's the one sitting on the throne? Revelation 1.18, he said, John, I am he that liveth and was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. So here he is again. They worship him that liveth forever and ever. And they take their crowns, they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure are and were created. So, Jesus Christ is the one sitting on the throne. Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Verse 11 says that the one on the throne created all things. So who's this referring to? Well, Colossians 1, 15 through 16 tells us. It says, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. This this verse is referring to Jesus Christ, and it says concerning Him who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. The man Christ Jesus is the physical image of God. He was a son of God. Before God made Himself a body in the beginning, He was only a spirit and had no physical image. But once He made Himself a body, the man Christ Jesus became the visible image of the invisible God. The Bible tells us right here. Now, this doesn't mean that there were two gods. Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. But we all have a spirit and a body. I mean, this is really easy to explain. We all have a spirit and body. But we are not two people. God has spirit and body, but he's not two gods. Who is the image of the invisible? Jesus Christ created all things. He was the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created. Remember um, Colossians 1.15. He created all things. Verse 16 says that, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, or principalities and powers. Jesus made it all. All things, the Bible says, all things were created by him and for him. Jesus was the one who John saw sitting on a throne. Now, In an upcoming segment, uh, chapter five, we we're going to see a very dramatic occurrence. We're going to see the Lamb suddenly take the book out of the right hand of Him who sits on the throne. Remember. The book of Revelation has a lot of symbolism to it. And you've got to, un- if you don't understand the symbolism, I know a lot of, of uh, minister friends of mine that won't, they, they teach very, uh, very seldom out of the book of Revelation. They don't like to touch it because there's so much symbolism and beasts and all these things. But once you understand these things, it is awesome. It's one of the most awesome books, in my opinion. I love the Bible, but man, I sure am drawn to the book of Revelation. And this is very important when we get to, when we're in a, in a future segment, when we get to future books. It's very important because the, the book, Revelation, when we get to five, contains the seven seals, which one of the, the or in um, the, the five and six and different ones, which is uh, one of the four sevens of the entire book of Revelation. And if no one was worthy to open the seals, then we would not know the content of the seals, right? However, we do know, and we will learn about the seven seals in in, uh, a next couple uh, segments in the future. Not only will we watch as the Lamb opens the seals, but we will understand what the seals represent. This is going to be a revelation that will enlighten all of us concerning what is happening in our world right now. And don't you want to know what's going on? I mean, we're all interested in the end time. That's why we have this end of the age program. The Bible says that during the time of the Antichrist that they that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits and they that understand among the people will instruct many. That's the end of the age, the essence of this. And our main goal to teach and preach the gospel of the kingdom of God around the world. I've had people ask me, what is the gospel of the kingdom of God? The gospel of the kingdom of God that Jesus taught and that all of the apostles taught Was that the God of heaven is coming back before very long to establish his kingdom here on the earth. Let me show you how to be a part of that kingdom. And you have to obey the gospel. It's very simple. And Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man is born again, he can enter or see the kingdom of God. So we all must be born again. How are you born again? Well, we've got a brochure that explains all of that in great detail. You can call 1-800-363-8463. Get the brochure, What Do You Mean Born Again? Or go to www.endtime.com. Go down to the very bottom of the homepage and there's a question. What do you mean born again? Click on it and you can read all about it. God bless you, each and every one.
2: This has been End of the Age, brought to you by the faithful partners of End Time Ministries. If you're not currently a partner with End Time Ministries, or if you would like more information, we invite you to call us at one 800 end That's 1-800-363-8463 or visit us online at endtime.com.